0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host, as always. And today we are joined by Barry Robinson, a distinguished leader in the hospitality industry, current, currently steering the ship as president and managing director of international operations at Wyndham Vacation Clubs and Travel and Leisure. With over two decades of experience, including a significant tenure as CEO Asia Pacific at Wyndham Vacation Ownership, Barry's expertise is as vast as it is impressive. His leadership journey is backed by an educational foundation from prestigious institutions like Harvard Business School and the Wharton School. Barry's strategic vision honed in the vibrant cities of Singapore and Australia's Gold Coast continues to elevate Windham's global presence, setting new benchmarks in luxury and hospitality. I've asked Barry to join us here today to share his story and insights into success in international business. Barry, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, my friend?
1: Daryl, great to be here. Yeah, so. it's
0: good. good to have you. Good to have you. Now, before we get into kind of the current state of affairs and your skill sets and things you've learned, how did you even get started? Did you, were your parents entrepreneurs? Did they have companies as well? Or is this?
1: Yeah, I, was brought, I was brought up in, in an entrepreneurial family. Hmm. Uh, originally, it flows back to my grandfather's days. And then good. my father had furniture factories and so on. And then for some reason, they decided to move out of that business and migrate into the hospitality business, into hotels and, and motorins in New Zealand from an early age, from eight or nine years old. I was indoctrinated into the hospitality industry and learnt the hard way and very early age, making beds, doing dishes and the likes.
0: That's fantastic. So at nine, you're flipping beds and tucking corners. And- it was
1: a family business. All of the kids were Involved in some way in there for pocket money, or we would call it child labor, so to speak. But um, (laughs) reflecting, it seemed hard at the time. But we also benefited from the fruits of having a very you know successful entrepreneurial family. We know we were able to go to good schools and enjoy good Christmases and trips away. So it wasn't all bad.
0: Yeah, no, of course, of course, I love this. So it was a family business. I think, I think in some ways, child labor gets a bad rap. I put my daughter to work a couple of weekends ago, there was, this is a bit of, it's your interview. I'm going to try to keep the story short, but I got a rock polisher, like one of those grinders for my daughter. I'm big into trying to get her to do things that teach life lessons. Like she, I have her gardening. I feel like that teaches you got to plan to prepare and nurture and then heart. And I got her one of these rock polishers to be like, Hey, we found these things and they're really rough and ugly. But if you just keep polishing it and working it over time, you have these beautiful gems and her and her mom just Loved them, and I was like, "Did you know you can make jewelry out of these?" And they were like, "What?" And I bought a little jewelry making kit for them, and they just went to town. And my daughter's private school has like a fair once a year, and I said, "We should get a, we should get a table for Malaya. She's four, turning five. I'm like, we should get a table for Malaya. Call it like Made by Malaya, and just sell that stuff. And then her and her mom got into like making keychains out of these and earrings and all sorts of other stuff. And then we found a mall, cross street had this kiddopreneur event for kids. kid on, It's like a farmer's market for kids. So we got her a booth. She sold like $300 worth of knickknacks from 10 cents to $2 over two days. My daughter, I had her little flyers running around, go chase them down. Hi, please visit my booth made by Malaya. Everything's made by me, Malaya. Like it just this cute little girl running around doing that. So I, I think done properly, child labor is it's worth its weight in gold, so to speak. So what were your early days? So obviously when you're nine, you can't do the bookkeeping for the family. <laughs> No, we
1: progressed through different areas of the business. My aspiration in those earlier days was to get out of the kitchen and live behind the bar. So fortunately in uh, New Zealand, if your parents were the owners of a a hospitality establishment, under the local licencing laws, you could actually serve behind the bar at the age of 12. So I started learning cocktails and mixtures at, at 12. In, in those days and that was the my aspiration to get in in, in behind the bar and get out of the kitchen which is a little bit reversed at the moment I enjoy cooking nowadays and the exploration of different types of cuisine but I still don't mind a drink or two yeah
0: fair enough. <laughs> so how did things progress then you got out of the kitchen you got out of yeah, so, behind
1: the bar so look well, you know, we were family business they owned several properties around the top mm-hmm. of the north island I shot off to we was shot off to boarding school because that seemed to be the right thing to do. From 13 I went to boarding school and then during the holiday times we would be shipped back up home and back into the ch- child labor environment although mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I used to try and shoot off to 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 the beach nearby and fishing and surfing and the rest of the things that normal kids do. But I always had lots of friends because they wanted to come a, a, around and eat lobster and try and right. sneak A little bit of alcohol out of the bar. So I wasn't short on friends from that perspective. So really progress just from an early age. We were groomed to go into the family business. So after that, I went to left school and went to William Angus School of Hospitality in Melbourne. So shipped over to, to Australia and started the William Angus course there, which was a fantastic establishment. Great course. Gave you some good foundations. Didn't complete the course. Mm. I decided instead with their entrepreneurial blood that I had in, in me I'd start my own business. I, my sister at that time was married into a a, a family that had a long history of uh, transport businesses and which was a bit strange so I I end up starting a transport business which I thought my parents were going to back and I got a pretty quick short answer about <laughs> I wouldn't be getting any of the family funds. Going to support a transport business. So which was good. Made me stand on my own two feet I had to go mm-hmm. and get a loan at that stage to, to raise money for a couple of semi-trucks that ran express freight between Melbourne and Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so just coming from a family background that was hospitality before that furniture being able to flip into another sector, just bringing in those entrepreneurial skills all, all along. And I think that was somewhat bred into me and why my you know, Dad disapproved of it over the years because I was in there for probably seven years or something. He came around; he still wasn't funding anything, but I'm sure he was proud of what I, what I established. Of course. Then and, and then the hospitality blood came back in, into my veins, and I sold out the transport business and just before the, I think the '87 crash, and went back into back into the hospitality business with my parents. In Australia at this time, they had brought up an establishment over in Australia, in not northern, sort of northern southern Queensland in in Harvey Bay, which was just a sort Mm -hmm. of an up and coming area those days where the good thing about that is that's where I met my lovely wife there. Uh Um, So 30 something years ago, but yeah, got back into the, the family fold. And worked out most families. Sometimes you can work with your parents and sometimes you can't. And, and I needed some more corporate experience. So I went then over to New Zealand and moved into the corporate field with, Cho- it wasn't Choice Hotels then, it was Quality Hotels New Zealand Limited, which was owned by CDL, which is a large publicly listed company here uh, based out of Singapore now. They don't have that brand anymore, but that's what got them started in New Zealand. And so I joined them as a, an assistant manager. Within a year, I was general manager of one of their properties and then had a, a cluster role as well as procurement. Mm. And so I had quite a quick you know, growth curve, even still at a young age. Right. And then from there, I went into uh, Asia. So my first Asia move was back in probably the early 90s up into Indonesia. Mm. Which was intriguing in itself, as you probably know, when you first come to Asia, yeah. and yeah, you know, I was still relatively young then. I, I'd never been to Asia before. The furthest I've <laughs> been was, was Australia, and yeah, <laughs> being dropped dropped into Jakarta to open up a new hotel in Jakarta, <laughs> and Jakarta was definitely an experience. Uh,
0: I believe that uh Indonesia was beautiful, though at least the part that I saw, Benton Island, that was. That was a good spot made me want to go back and visit it was a nice little slice of paradise okay and i think that's obviously i can see why you climb so fast the wealth of experience the industry knowledge just even sitting around the dinner table with family talking that's so valuable and so useful so you grow and then and i guess working for someone else it also frees you from the reins like you said like being under someone else's wing i think it's really commendable you managed to make a name for yourself in a new industry show kind of show like when you did the transportation and then, when then coming back, and it sounds like working for other people really helps diversify your probably your perspective and your point of view to make if and when you come back to the family business to bring more insights and more get out of the drinking the family Kool Aid, so to speak, and see. Cause I, I had a talk recently with another guest. We were talking about how often people do their best, but it may not be what's required to be the best. And some of it comes from a lack of understanding the whole ecosystem, so to speak. So that's, yeah, you go and work for someone else, you get a view of the whole ecosystem now, or at least another yeah, you part
1: can, of it. You, you can definitely be pretty narrow focused and even the cultural experiences that I've had throughout my career. And as I said, I went, go to, went to Indonesia at an early age. I thought that was tough and exciting, but tough and interesting, had some interesting owners. And then I thought it'd be easier to go to China in the early nineties. <laughs> I had, had a different experience then, but all of them, while- Certain areas were felt tough at the time, really drove some inner growth within Mm -hmm. myself, taught me patience. I think the entrepreneurial spirit is something that I always draw upon because it gives me that perspective, especially if we're going into a management arrangement where we're not owning the asset, Mm -hmm. I can quickly flip back to an owner's perspective as to what they would be thinking about or what we should be thinking about. And that's probably helped me through my career and my growth as well with my business. And being from an entrepreneurial family, you are taught hard work at an early age. This only comes from hard work, a little bit of luck sometimes, 90% hard work.
0: Right. Yeah. What would you recommend to someone who's starting out and struggling now?
1: You've got to enjoy what you're doing. That's the first thing. And, and let, let me clarify that because you don't always enjoy every aspect of what you're doing, but you've got to enjoy the sector that you're in and have a passion for it mm-hmm. um, and have a vision as to where you want to get to. And I think if you have that, then the doing the dishes, making the beds, cleaning the toilets, doing some of those other Tasks that you may not want to do forever, right? You know, can, can fly by, but they're important tasks because if we don't do those basics right, where we say they're menial tasks, yep. you you don't have the, the basics of a great foundation of a business. And your ultimate customer service, customer experience su- subsides away. So to some degree, you can say, you know, the accounting, and while that's important, the HR component is all important. But if you can't get the basics right within any business, whether it's making furniture, operating in a hotel, and the beds aren't, aren't made properly, and the establishment isn't clean, and the service isn't friendly, then you really don't have any money to count, and you don't have any people or staff right. to train or coach. So I think sometimes we get a bit ahead of ourselves, occasionally we can, and, and forget about focus, focusing on the main key things. Why, why do people come and stay at your establishment? They're there Mm. because they have great friendly service. They have a great experience. And that can be with any sector. That could be a coffee shop where, you know, you're going to get your coffee in the morning. You go there because the coffee is actually great. It's made well. It's clean. Uh, The people are friendly and happy.
0: I love this because all a company is a group of people that solve the pain of another group of people. And they do it via a product or service. And so you talk about with a smile. That's just such a key area, not begrudgingly, but with a smile as best as possible. I
1: love that. But that's where you've got to have that passion and then things come naturally. People like authentic service or, or, or authentic you know, delivery or ho- hospitality.
0: Yes, that makes a ton of sense. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you felt in your career?
1: I think you go through different stages of talent challenges. If I look back when I'm younger, my biggest challenge may have been learning how to deal with a different management style. Mm. That didn't I felt maybe didn't compliment this the industry or the sector and sometimes you've got to ride out the storm as they say, because you mm. never know how long that person's going, going to be there for. Right. Or that culture or environment may not suit you. And therefore you need to make your own calls. Yeah, I think you'll face going through life or sectors and it can be as I said, it could be a consulting sector or whatever. It's about the people around you. That makes it a lot easier, a lot harder. You've still got to have basic knowledge, but a lot of it is drive, you know, your commitment. My challenges would also vary. I used to get a little bit frustrated when I was in a business that was just pure franchise because I could see opportunities. Um, mm. there that should have been done differently, but because we didn't have control of the property, you know, it wasn't our money, we had to listen to the person that was that had that was investing the capital in it into it, so that could be a bit of a challenge or frustrating, or a balancing act. And this is where I love this sector and why I switched from pure hotels or pure play hotels because most of the companies were going out going back out to asset light into this sector where we actually invest in property. We do we have our own capital. We do our own designs. Mm. Do our own construction and therefore ultimately we control our own des- destiny. If we produce something and it's not what the customer expects or whatever, I've only got myself to blame there. Right.
0: I love that. I love that. And obviously, you've seen the industry through a lot of different geopolitical and economic phases. Can you speak to that a little bit? Obviously, I think yeah. probably, yeah, there's a lot of. Yeah. Look,
1: there's, it goes as far back as I suppose when I was in, in Indonesia managing property in indonesia when the, the sahato overthrow took place that was back in i think the late 90s and you're evacuating out out your expatriate staff you know there's tanks rolling down the streets there's all sorts of things going on so again that's about really stretching your management capabilities <laughs> as, well, yes. as to, as to <laughs> see how quickly you can adapt it's about <laughs> adaption right So I don't know whether it was smart or silly, but I ended up staying back during that period with my local team to support them through that, along with another chap that I knew that was working for Thies at that time. Hindsight, maybe smart, maybe not smart. Anyway, I'm still here today. Right. Uh, But it certainly gave me a better understanding of what was going on on the ground there. It gave me good credibility and kudos With the local people and local team because I was there to support them all and make sure that not only the foreigners going in there were safe, but my local team was looked after and safe. And So you're
0: still like operating business with a smile and... Chefs right. are in the when back you've
1: got, restaurant. You've got, you've got, we've got, we had ropes down the outside of the building in case the building got set on fire so we could sail down the back. So there was all sorts of things going on. So it was a different, you know, so that was one sector. And then we went into, obviously, the financial crisis that we went through in the, what was that, 80, 88, 89 financial global crisis, which again, it was a total rehash of the business. We... At that stage, money was really tight, and we're a capital-intensive uh, company. Besides, the great thing about this company and the and, and is that basically it's very diversified. We have a consumer finance business where we lend money out. We have a construction company. We have sales and marketing. We have a hotel operational team, and so on. For me, I, I like that because it's it's a multi-skilled business with a lot of diversification in it. But what happened through financial crisis when money tightened up we we had to go and find funding. So at, at that stage, we were part of Sendent Corporation. Uh, and Sendent Corporation was a Fortune 100, which had a lot of franchise businesses and a lot of cash. So they, they didn't need cash. Because, uh, they wanted us to spend it in those days, but we had just spl- split off into Wyndham Worldwide. And so all of a sudden, I had to go and find $300 million within... Within four months, to we had a conduit that was rolling over, and we had to go and build some relationships with the banks during the financial crisis through end of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, sort of going to two
0: thousand and ten. So yeah, how to, do you find three hundred million dollars in the middle of a financial crisis?
1: Well, right, you go and build relationships awfully quickly. So, yeah. well, fortunately, we you know, we built a relationship with the National Bank in Australia and a couple other banks. And what uh, what does
0: that mean? Build relationships like you're sending
1: them flowers. We had to to go and you know see the head of at that side, the head of lending or banking and securitization, and convince them that our business was uh, Mm -hmm. a great, stable business that had lots of upside, less downside for them. And in hindsight, it was should have been an easy decision for them, so to speak. They made uh, actually a good margin and. Mm. good profit out of that business and they wouldn't know, tell
0: that, you that up front though they'd still they'd be uh, like I, I don't know i <laughs> you're the one that needs 300 300 million you're like yeah okay got it got it got it, got it, got oh, it. yeah, so
1: that was a, that was a sort of a, a, a trying time because we had a couple of thousand people at that stage riding on our business that had we not been able to ride raise those fundings maybe our business wouldn't be here today also it also got us to relook at the business and our margins, we took our margins from roughly 10, 11% through to, I think at the peak was like 32% margin.
0: Wow. And,
1: and now we tape it off and run at about a 20, 27% margin. Wow. So, so again, through these times and call call them crisis or, or a, a hello moment or something like that, which... Now I'm trying to create with the team outside of a COVID event or a financial crisis or whatever. We're trying to have what we call a crisis meeting just to create or stimulate a different style of thinking. Because when your back's up against the wall, it certainly creates a different way of thinking, a different type of thought process.
0: Yeah, I agree. What are some of the skills or behaviors that you feel are important for your staff to improve or develop?
1: I think some of the things that we still aren't as good at and a lot of businesses I don't think is, are as good as they could be is getting the innovation from all levels, uh, really listening to it and evaluating it. And then also empowerment. The bigger the business gets, the more you've got to figure out how to break down the bureaucracy. Mm. And one of the other frustrations that I suppose I would have had during my career is bureaucracy and some of the other companies that i've worked for before fortunately Touchwood, i've been here 20 years with this business the reason i've been here is because the bureaucracy isn't that of other companies that i've seen and right. they do understand that we operate on a different time zone therefore we can't be on calls all hours of nights into america and mm. that you know i've got senior executives that are smart people They've been in business a long time. We just need to let them get on and run the business. And if they're producing the results and taking the right boxes, we just need to provide them with encouragement.
0: Right. Which is great if you can have that. It really sounds like you need to help people have almost like an entrepreneurial mindset themselves.
1: Yeah, I think you need to encourage that. Too many businesses, I think, stifle it.
0: Mm. And
1: that and that creates layers, and that creates what I call backside covering, where everyone CCs everyone on an email, yeah. just to show that they're working.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I won't go down that that road. That, I think that's I think that's a really good point. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you feel you see other entrepreneurs making or businesses? You alluded to some. Yeah. But let's really hit the nail yeah. on the head.
1: I think talent acquisition is key. Mm. I think sometimes businesses don't spend enough time and, and my team will get frustrated with me because I do spend a lot of time. Mm. And some people may say it's a waste of my time. I I, I do get down in the weeds a, a bit and like to interview down to a certain le- level just until I, and I've been doing that for a number of years, but the longer that my executive team are with me, the better understanding they have of what Why? type of people we're looking for. And yep. you know, we profile everyone that's coming in. We've got a NEO score rating that is embedded into our business that we've culturally modified to suit our, our environment. And so now I'm probably not as interviewing as many as I would or I'm asking some questions and not necessarily having to have the face-to-face because my team right. better understands the, the, the culture that we're trying to be, bring in, the type of people the skill set that we're looking for, we're really, we really focus heavily also on proper reference checking. I find too many mm-hmm. companies you know, don't do detailed reference checking yep. and, and rely on some written documentation or even some of the consultancy firms that I don't believe necessarily dig down deep enough.
0: Yeah, I agree. Actually, I had a client way, way back. They were promoting from within and they were going to make some guy basically the face of the company. And then they did a profile check and the guy had a a child pornography mark on his record, he had done like community service and all in there and they were about to make him the face of like the business. Like what, it was a legacy business like that. It was like, yeah. So yeah, reference checking. I think that's an important one. So I have really a big emphasis on the people who you're hiring, the culture that fits, making sure that you're getting who you think you're getting. Because a lot, some people interview really well; they know all the right questions to answer, the things to say. How do you well, test? Yeah,
1: sorry. We yeah, you know, we are in the people business. Right? right, part of when people come in for for interviews for us, or if they're flying in and we're flying in an executive to be interviewed, yeah, you know, we will, or I will, or my team will ask our driver, how was the person on the trip in? What was their behaviours? How, when they come up to the receptionist, how do they act or respond? So we get more of a, not a mirage, a natural feedback of how this person may be. Are they going to fit in with our culture? We are in the... Hospitality business, we're in the service industry. So my people are coming in and are, are arrogant, disrespectful, not polite. They're probably not for our business.
0: Right, 100%. 100%. So, you
1: know, a couple of my pet hates is non responsiveness. I find it intriguing that people within the hospitality sector, even at the senior level,
0: yep.
1: are non responsive or not very hospitable yeah uh, I do, that sort of just amazes me
0: yep yeah can you talk to culture a bit how do you because culture is a weird it's like a hard maybe I, I might be wrong in this but it's a hard to measure thing but it is such a critically important thing and a good culture can carry the business forward when in times of crisis or in a, when there's a lack of guidance or or even certainty on what to do having strong values and strong culture can you Speak to that. Obviously, it sounds like you really do not just the interview, but you actually interview the people that they interact with as part mm-hmm. of the try and figure out all different angles of that, which I love. I love that. I love the depth of that. I love all things grit and depth. Can you speak to building a culture?
1: Yeah, I just got to start from the basics. Fortunately, here in Singapore, we're building a culture at the mm-hmm. moment because the office is, is small. We're shifting the, the international headquarters to Singapore. but. If I go back to our Gold Coast headquarters, where we had 800 people in the corporate office at, at you know our peak, that, that culture was built over 10 or 12 years. And it, it, it right. took a while to adapt and, and modify. And it's about behaviors. It's about the behaviors of the leadership team. So if the leadership team's coming in energetic, excited, supportive, encouraging, dynamic, then that's the culture that you're going to have within that business. Mm. But it doesn't happen overnight, and it, it can be dismantled quite quickly. Mm. Nervous, if I'm honest myself, about our culture down in in the South Pacific in our old corporate office because we've gone through COVID. We've made a lot of changes. People are working from home. We're trying to get people back in. Some are in, some are out. It is really hard to build a culture when you're yeah. not face to face.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's just for people listening to this, I've been working remote since 2012. I've had remote, I should say, I've had teams working remote. When I had my martial arts school, I had remote staff. I've hired from Guatemala, India, Philippines, all sorts of cultures. And there's just some things I'm a big fan of the hybrid now, even if somebody has to be remote, it's, it can be tempting because you can expand the hiring pool, you know what I mean? And try to get a higher caliber person. But for critical roles, you, like for me, at least in the business I'm involved in, you just got to have hybrid at minimum. Cause there's just certain things that you can't do over Zoom. And there's just things that come up when you're sitting in the office together. And oh, by the way, you just, it just, you just can't duplicate that. You can, and I know people, they've tried, oh, we all sit on Zoom with our cameras on and our screen sharing. And that's, Maybe works a little bit. It's better, but it's not. You just can't. You just can't. You just can't.
1: No, we. I've just had an executive offsite mm-hmm. strategy session, which I flew my team, team in because not all of my executives are in Singapore at the moment. Mm-hmm. Half are in Australia, and half are in Singapore, or most of the time on a plane. And definitely getting them together for two and a half days. Yeah, uh, all of them would say, "Hey, we need to get together more often." More often, right? So we're getting more more structured in that. At a minimum, we'll be all together quarterly for a couple of days somewhere. We'll make sure we coordinate our flights. Uh, mm. I think it's critical. So likewise with the office at the moment in, in Australia, we've mandated enterprise days at the moment. Three There's three days a week that people need to be in the office because then you at least know – If you want to speak to someone, if I have an idea, I can go over and I know my lawyer is going to be there or my accountant or finance CFO is going to be there or whoever it may be. And just generally for me, I I manage by field, walking around the office and talking to different people and asking off the cuff questions, you get different answers. Uh, And that's how you get a flavor of how your business is running, I feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Management by walking around is hard to do when everyone's working from home. (laughs) Just show up unannounced. Hey, this yeah, was I'm here for afternoon <laughs> <tea>. <laughs> <Yeah. I was laughs> Where's just, the scones? I love that. Yeah, that's great. So, maybe can we speak to some of the habits that you feel the most successful owners and even staff, perhaps, or entrepreneurs have? Because again, we're talking decades here. Looking back, what are some of the most critical? Because you mentioned behaviors. What are the most critical habits? I think, I look, I think,
1: continue learning. I think make sure that you're grounded enough to not be so arrogant to say that you don't need any more coaching or learning or you can't learn anything. I think I'm a great mimicker. I like to watch and listen and see what others are doing and will mimic some of those behaviours if they're good. So you've got to be able to filter out what's good and what's bad. I love listening to successful entrepreneurs and how they've made their ways. Sir Richard Branson. The head of GE, Bill Gates, those others, reading their bios is intriguing to me, and a lot of them are really inquisitive. I think having an inquisitive mind continually, and also I've tried to implement in our business or encourage the leaders that are growing. We've tried to match them up with coaches, and this isn't just this isn't just a business coach; it's more of a life coach. Yeah. I think, you know, the, we all get this hang up about, hey, we need coaching in business. But 70% of the time, you actually probably need coaching in life. Right. Because if you have all the stuff around you going on smoothly and aligned, which, you know, a lot of the time it isn't, then I see much more successful business people, entrepreneurs or, and so on if they're, if they're aligned generally holistically within themselves.
0: Yeah, 100%. They say how you do something is how you do everything. So if your life is in disarray or even just simple things like uh, like a family illness, talking about COVID, right? Like suddenly that's going to impact everything else. You might be at work, but mentally you may be checked out. And this isn't necessarily about pandering to people or creating victims. It's really just about helping support people and help them get their, their life organized. There's very few athletes that are also their own coach. Because when you're in the game, it's tough to see how things are, what's going on and what's happening. So you really need, that's why you always watch the game tape. Any sport, they always watch the game tape afterwards. How? What did I do? When, where? What was a good decision? What was a bad decision? And so that reflecting is a really valuable skill, a really valuable tool. Well,
1: and also knowing your people. I think too many managers or supervisors probably don't spend enough time in knowing their people. And, mm-hmm. and that gets back to your point, because if you know your people what's going on with them generally because I'll disclose to you how I've got something happening at home or whatever. And that's more than likely the reason that they've gone off the boil for a little bit or they're not as focused as as they were. I think learnings along that way is, and and, you're more empathetic as well. You're going to get a lot more out of your people. Um, Yeah, I believe in uh, flexibility. I think people have got a, a misnomer in flexibility being working from home flexibility right. yeah. about having a flexible work environment where if you have to go and watch your daughter's running race or celebrate her graduation or whatever it is that's right. flexibility to me
0: right 100 percent, 100 100 because at the end of the day we're all people don't necessarily realize but life is competition as much as people want to make it a kumbaya utopia we're all in this together like life is competition, the bugs, the diseases are trying to eat us. The plants are fighting for space in the soil. But if, and depending on the industry that you're in, you're competing with every other person on the planet. The man you want to marry, the woman you want to marry, there's, you got, there's one of them. Either you're going to get them or you're not like, it's winner, winner lose. And even with your own personal health, right? Either you're on top of your health or you're not. And everybody thinks they're in control of their health until they have a health issue. I, I may or may not have mentioned this, but in 2020, everybody was arguing about the science of this, the science of that, and I was raised by a man who worked in applied physics and geology and I'd helped some clients add a million dollars to the bottom line but I had one client she was almost taken out by the IRS she got to 2.6 million and wasn't her accountant at just around a million wasn't adequate her accounting system wasn't adequate for over two million and that was a big wake-up call to me that sales and marketing alone don't guarantee success in business so in 2020 when everybody was arguing about the science of this and the science of that I thought what does the science have to say about business success so I actually spent about 50 grand U.S Hired 10 research assistants to help me go through all the published academic literature we could get our hands on. Studies from Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Australia, Canada, U.S., business success. And we basically tried to look at hundreds of thousands of studies and go, what are the factors all these studies identified? And what are the common denominators among them all? A systemic review, meta-analysis. And we found eight critical success factors. There were self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, Marketing strategy, sales strategy and skill, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. Those are the big umbrella categories, and they all have subcomponents. And talking about self efficacy, the subcomponents are specific personality traits, leadership skills, and personal disciplines. And leadership, I was surprised, was I always thought leadership was like goal setting and having a vision. And through our research, that's more of a function of strategic planning and market intelligence. Leadership skills are actually self awareness skills. Communication and cooperation skills, emotional intelligence skills, adaptability, which comes back to what you're saying, right? That it's in terms of you're in a people business and that flexibility isn't not needing to get the work done. It's flexibility and understanding who you are as a person and and understanding uh, how to have work-life balance. There's really not a thing as work-life balance, but you still have to balance them both.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think work-life balance is partly if you're really enjoying what you're doing. That's part 100%. of the other pa- aspect is the health balance, which I'm a big advocate for. You know, you've still got to make sure you have time to do the right exercise, eat the right cuisine, not drink yeah. too much. It's a d- yeah. difficult balancing act, but it's important.
0: Yeah. So, I, I grew up in a, in a town I grew up in, we Canada. We used to have the largest military base. It became the second largest, but it's fine. And I was shocked as a kid. They had a field house. It was like a gym. And I was just a kid. I got a membership there. And they had a martial arts room and a wave pool and an indoor track and all this stuff but i was surprised to learn cuz none of my family were in the military but i was surprised to learn that even if you were a civilian working for the military you could get paid an extra hour every day by checking into the gym that they tracked the membership in that and that they would pay you for an extra hour of work even if you were a civilian contractor if you went and did if you just went to the gym they didn't know what you were doing you know, they weren't counting just if you went to the, cuz they had all the data the military knew that if you had a strong body you had a strong mind if you had the discipline all that stuff is super transferable and you actually are a better version of yourself and people talk about time management but a lot of people don't talk about energy management in the sense that if you can only run one one mile or one kilometer and you're exhausted you're like oh i need to take a nap that's your energy gas tank you bring to all your meetings everything that you're doing that's your energy through the day now if i snap my fingers and you can run 10 kilometers or 10 miles and you're not even really that tired at the end you have 10 times more energy to get through everything. You know what I mean? And so, and also there's a lot of correlation between like sick days and fitness level, but 100%, 100% with you on that. So now where do you see the future of things? Because there's a lot happening. I'm bringing it up again. There's a lot happening geopolitically. There's a lot happening with the banking systems. There's some people feeling that unelected people have some sort of agenda that's being pushed Onto the world Where, what are you looking at over the next five, 10, 15 years? What's on well, your radar?
1: Yeah, look, I think there's I think there's opportunities. I think there's I think I don't think we're out of the woods yet. It's going to be some suffering for certain folks and like all crisis, there's going to be great opportunities. It's going to be about change management, how you know quickly agile you are as a business to move and adapt. who's re- ready to capture those opportunities? I believe that if I look at our sector in general, and which covers real estate as well, I think there's going to be some opportunities coming up for distressed assets mm-hmm. in all sectors. I mm-hmm. think interest rates haven't peaked yet in, in, in certain markets, probably in most. Inflation certainly isn't under control.
0: No. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but, but it does give a, you know, opportunities for others. You see the airlines are recording record profits, so while... People are start suffering. They're still flying now. I think that may turn. I I I believe that domestic tourism is going to continue to grow because I think people are going to go. Hey, listen, I can't afford to do that long trip that I did last year. I'm going to stay at home and explore around home, or or in, into like into country travel, into Asia travel. So short travel where. If the airfares are up two or three hundred dollars, it's no big deal, but if it's four thousand dollars, it is a big deal. So, flying you know, Singapore, Thailand, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, Vietnam, I I, I don't see that sliding off a a lot, but I do see the long hauls out of the Europe's America down to, to Australia, the long haul destinations. I think also the currency, why the US dollar is strong. It's shying away of a, a lot of people from traveling towards the U.S. You saw with the Japanese yen. But yeah. on the flip side, that's attracting people in, into Japan. And then we've got the war aspects that are happening at the moment and bubbling away. So that's a really unknown aspect because that can affect supply chains as well. And that's sort of, yeah, I'm not an expert to comment on that. Sector, oh, of course. But of what, course. Seen, what I'm saying just from an economic perspective yeah, I think we, as leaders, we definitely need to have our wits about us and we mm. need to ready to manoeuvre in another direction. For us, I think it's great opportunities. Normally when there's a downturn in the vacation ownership business, we've always th- threshed. threshed because people aren't investing in the full real estate and all of a sudden they, they still mm. want a holiday or they still want some type of investment. So our pro- product in the past through the financial crisis and so on, our revenue streams have always tended to grow.
0: That's fantastic. That's really yeah. fantastic. And that's definitely some insight. I almost, I know we're getting on top of the, the timeline here, but I almost want to get back to tanks in the streets. And you're like, have your greeter at the door and the chef and the waitress. And, and meanwhile, like there's tanks roll and you're like, Hey, we need some rope in this window. It's not touching the ground. It just that, that, just. The main to keep calm and continue on. I de- I don't know. I, I I just, I didn't expect you to bring that up. It sounds like people are still engaging no matter how bad it sounds like it gets. There's still people buying and selling, I think is the message from that,
1: right? Yeah. Through the that, that Sahato change regime, there's definitely a crisis in Indonesia, but there was a lot of people buying merchandise and selling. I currency plummeted and there was lots of opportunities. The thing I suppose to think about is, how quickly or how ready are you to capitalize on the opportunity and can you see it and that's right. what leader, that's what a leader's supposed to be able to do right yeah, they are just yeah. to be able to see the vision they got to see the vision strategize quickly enough and then be able to move the team of basically war strategy be able to move the forces in the right direction and encourage right. them and they, they you need to have the right culture that they're you know, going to be ready to follow you and support you and believe in, you know, your thought process.
0: Yeah, I I really respect that. Because in a lot of ways, I'm of the belief that businesses solve problems. We said that earlier. And so even in a time of crisis, there's just more problems to solve. And, And I remember I spoke with actually had on this show, I had a nun. I don't know if that's a problem, but she was a nun. She was running a school. One of the most technologically advanced schools here in the Philippines It's even just very remotely located, but they start kids coding at like grade one and two. They have kids doing coding competition stuff. It was probably one of the best interviews I feel like I've ever done. I had to tell her at one point, I'm like, I don't know what the award is, but you won it. I was just so shocked because her whole, she was just the beacon of love and light and helping people. And that was one of the things that came through. She's in the school. There were a lot of parents that. Didn't have the money they weren't able to work and so they would come and they would barter in kind they would bring food they would volunteer their work and services and i think the real message i got from that was the same is that the school found ways to continue solving the problems the community had and was willing to exchange different forms of of, of barter but at the same time they had to pay their bills and all that and they still managed to i think to to honor their employee because all the nuns are working for free but they have staff and the staff gets something like four weeks, pay a year and something. She's like, we didn't have to take a pay. The school actually grew. More people came and grew. Like the school, I don't know why I'm stumbling on my words here, but their student base grew during that period of time. When everybody else is struggling and suffering. And so I really think your message is super valid. Barry, this has been a great call. I've got a couple pages of notes. I hope the listeners probably do as well. May want to listen again. And again, is there anything I haven't asked you I should have asked you?
1: No, I don't think. I I, I think you, whatever you put in, you get back, so to speak. Then we talked once before about is there a specific phrase or saying that I would encourage people to think about? And I think just get it done. Sometimes we make things too complicated. <laughs> just, just get out there and have a go and, and get it done and do your best. You know what's there, do it with a smile. I was at a temple two days ago where there was a lot of people going through this group of temples and it's interesting when you watch people there's a there was a, a family with a wheelchair pushing through I think their grandmother and struggling to get up the stairs and here's all these people just walking past going in the temple to do their prayers and whatever I walked over gave her a hand to get up but my point is is yeah. it's interesting to watch people because people are there because they're wanting to ask forgiveness goodness or yeah ask for something, yet they're walking past someone that that is right there and then that they could be helping. We need to think about in in our fields or whatever business it is, you may roll out of your limousine and go into the office or into the factory floor. But if you walk straight past a customer that's struggling with something, then
0: maybe your business isn't right. I love that. So well said. What a great thought if people want to reach out, if they have questions, if they want to learn more, what are the best places for them to follow up?
1: They, they can e- email me. So either barry.robinson at winwin.com um, is probably, probably the easiest uh, or best way to get get hold of me. And yeah, you know, as I said, I'm responsive, so I'll come back to you.
0: That's fantastic. So if you want, give shoot them an email at dot R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N at Wyn.com. Barry, thank you so much. It has been an honor and a pleasure knowing you've got your own direct reports, your own projects, your own fan, like things to take care of. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and my people so we can all do a little bit better.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.